Well, the NL could not get it done again as the AL punches their win 5-2 last night, sending them to eight straight victories in a row for the MLB All-Star Game. And uh, I got to say, the game itself, not that exciting. The jerseys, very ugly. I did not, not a fan of the jerseys. That was like the my one takeaway from the game, Rowdy. The game was kind of boring outside of like, I, I was impressed by Freddie Peralta. Like I got pretty fired up for that. Other than that, I kept looking at the jerseys and how ugly they are. But who cares? And the game itself was all right, I guess. Wasn't, you know, wasn't anything really get excited about, you know? Yeah, it kind of was what it was, right? Yeah. Freddie Peralta was great. He's the first Milwaukee Brewer ever to strike out a side in an All-Star game. That's cool. Omar Nervaez had a base hit. Yep. What he was, one for two? And then uh, casually got thrown out at second as a (laughs) pass ball hit a wall and came right back to the catcher. Yeah. uh, Corbin Burns took the loss. That was kind of lame. That was like a typical Corbin Burns when he gives up runs, though, right? Yeah. Like, majority of all the contacts against him was pretty weak contact. What they had a base hit that, that found a hole Yeah, wasn't hit very hard. You had a base hit that bounced over Freddie Freeman's head. And then all of a sudden you're sitting there going, Oh, he gave up one run through one inning, but it was a lot of soft contact. Nothing really hit too hard against Corbin Burns. He had that four pitch walk, which was, I don't even know if we've seen that at all from Corbin Burns this year. He's like, yeah, all-star game. Who cares? And then you're thinking, Oh, he's out there on the mound for a second inning. All right. He's starting to mow him down, and then Vlad Jr. absolutely launched one off of him. Yeah, Vlad Jr., what do you have, a 468-foot bomb as Vlad Jr. just got it done. Shohei Otani uh, did hit 100-mile-per-hour heat while pitching a perfect inning for the win, which is strange. Uh, But he did not do anything with the stick. He grounded out twice. So Shohei Otani, when it comes to the stick, very disappointing for the phenom. Uh, from the home run derby to last night's action. But, I mean, it's always cool to see a guy pitch 100-mile-per-hour heat. I know it's not as uh, rare as it once was, but it was it was fine. I guess it did its purpose, right? Not only last night, it did its purpose. It gave us something to watch and just be somewhat entertained over while nothing else was going on. Well, I think for the most part, that All-Star game kind of represented exactly what baseball is becoming. It was a lot of guys that throw extremely hard. <laughs> yeah. And strike a lot of people out. And there were a lot of batters up there that either strike out or hit home, home runs. runs. Yep. I mean, that's that's baseball. I mean, the AL the AL did manufacture a couple runs there. But for the most part, it was uh, reliant on some home runs. I mean, look at the uh, the catcher that had a average below 200, but he made it into the All-Star game. And he hit a home run. And hit a home run. Yeah, you were not happy about that. Was that just because of the bet? Yeah, it's partially, but it's like, I mean, this is like the definition of where baseball is going. Yeah, I felt I felt good for the guy. Like, what a great moment for him. You get to be, you know, an all-star, and then you get to the big stage and you hit a dinger. He'll talk about that the rest of his life. Good on him. Uh, but, Rowdy, now we look at this all-star game, and you're right. That's what kind of baseball has become. Who would have thought that in the celebrity all-star softball tournament there would be more bunting than, <laughs> than, a, than an actual baseball game as Vaughn Miller bunted in the softball game? Uh, the Korea or the K League, they have it oh, their own bunting challenge where you score points in their All Star festivities. And not, I'm not going on a bunting tangent here, but then you watched last night and it was yeah. Uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. though father son duo to each hit a home run in an All Star game. That's got to be pretty cool uh, for uh, 
the Vlad, the Guerrero family. Rowdy, Vlad Jr., that dude's a beast. That dude is a monster. Yeah, they joined, what was it, one of three families? Yeah. Barry and Bobby Bonds, Ken Griffey Jr. and Sr., and then Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Sr. It's some pretty good company to be a part of. Yeah, those are pretty good names. <laughs> yeah, so the All-Star game, that's it. Now the All-Star festivities are about, they're done. And now we have to uh, kind of wait a little bit. Milwaukee Brewers get back in action on Friday. I know you mentioned uh, Freddie Peralta and basically how he mowed down all the hitters in his inning. Did you see that uh, Freddie Peralta, the first pitcher to strike out the side for the Brewers in an all-star game? Yeah, I said that like a minute ago. Okay. <laughs> I just said that. But, yeah, Freddie Peralta, first, again, third time's a charm, baby. Freddie Peralta, the first Brewers pitcher to strike out the side in an all-star game. And the thing I loved about it most, now, it's not – I'd have nothing against Chris Bryant, I guess, the Chicago Cub. But Bryant was mic'd up. He was mic'd up, and it was awesome to hear him have to compliment Freddie Peralta as he was up there pitching uh, to say how good Freddie Peralta was. It was just great to hear a Cub have to compliment a Brewer. I know I've said this before. Not a fan of having guys mic'd up in the field while they're playing. I don't think personally. Not even an all-star game? I just, I feel like if you're actually focused in the game, it wouldn't be that great. I liked it. and It's, I, I mean, it's an all-star game. It doesn't, doesn't matter anymore. But to hear Chris Bryant have to compliment Freddie Peralta was awesome. And then what Nelson Cruz was mic'd up after that. I thought it was weird that he was mic'd up while batting. I wonder if they could hear Joe Buck in his ear while he was batting well, and he grounded out. That was the thing. It was uh, earlier in the game. It was Fernando Tatis Jr. who was uh, mic'd up while he was at the plate. And Joe Buck is literally talking to him while he's trying to hit. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I was watching Nelson Cruz. <laughs> the same thing was happening. And then uh, it was, I thought it was cool when Cruz hit it. And then, uh, you know, he's running the first. He got thrown out. And then you heard him mumble some stuff. And then the mic got turned back up. And Joe Buck was kind of like, hey, what did he say? Or what did you say? And Nelson Cruz was like, I told him to pitch it harder so I could hit it better. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's an all-star game. I love, I love the fact that they're mic'd up. Um, I think it's cool to get a little peek into what they have to say. Remember the XFL rowdy when uh, they had they would do the sideline interviews after a play? I thought that was the coolest thing that should be you know put into sports. Uh, the mic'd up stuff is whatever to me, but XFL when there was like a big play or someone screwed up or someone you know did something well, their reporter immediately would be right in their face when they came to the sidelines and they uh, would interview them. I really like that out of the XFL. Yeah, but that's one. different. Or was that than AAF? No, it was, no, that was XFL. XFL. But that's different than actually being mic'd up while playing and talking while. So playing. you say no one should be mic'd up in an all-star game. I'm just saying in general, I wouldn't like it. I wouldn't volunteer to do it. No. Yeah, I wonder if they are made to do it or if they volunteer. I'd volunteer to do it. That'd be cool. That'd be fun. Uh, get more fans giving you a little love. Love it. Yeah, Chris Bryant was very uh, really good answers about if he was going to be a Chicago Cub or not. He, was, uh, he must have taken a master class in player and coach speak. As Joe Buck was not really grilling him, but asking him if he's going to be a Cub, you know, coming up here, and he says, "I'm just taking it day by day, and just one one game at a time." <laughs> I, I love that stuff. That's and Chris Bryant also came up in two huge situations for he, the NL, and he blew it twice. Blew it twice. Uh, was it bases loaded two times or just the one time? Uh, two guys on once, and the other time it was bases, bases loaded. loaded. Yeah, Chris Bryant came up and just <laughs> crapped on his leg. I thought maybe the, the NL had their chances. They had their chances. But it would be obviously again the AL now winning uh, winning eight in a row. Yeah, I, my favorite part was literally Freddie Peralta. Freddie Peralta was great. Now, other than that, I was just like kind of like okay. I guess Real Mudo's a uh, Real. Mu- Why can I say his name? Say his name for me, Rowdy. Real Mudo. His oh, home JT run. Real Mudo. His home run was a, a nice little dinger. 
I thought maybe the NL would like get a little inspired and sparked after that. But, you know, it's fine. It, it did its job. Better than uh, Was it better than the Home Run Derby, in your opinion? I think the Home Run Derby was much more exciting. Yeah. I don't know. Both are kind of just like ho-hum. There's nothing really else to watch. I was, I was out boating, and then I came home, probably tuned in around the fourth inning of the All-Star game, so I just had missed Corbin Burns. Went back and watched his little replay of it. Eh, whatever. Freddie Peralta, though, we, we'll hang our hat right there. As the Brewers had five in there. You see Brandon Woodruff? Brandon Woodruff was there. Just wasn't playing, obviously. And no Josh Hader. You called it, Rowdy. Hader without in the game. He said no. Being, no. A, being a Brewer fan, I'm good with that. I'm glad with giving uh, Josh Hader basically five days off. God, just think if Hader was pitching and mic'd up. What would, what would you have done today, Rowdy? <laughs> he would have lost the gasket. Yeah, Woody was there, though, You know, walking to his family, his newborn uh, his baby there. That was cool to see as they were coming in. And now Milwaukee got a few more days off before they go to Great American Ballpark to take on the Reds, a team that's, what, four games behind the Brewers for first place in the NL Central. So we got to talk some crew today, obviously, as, uh, you know, that all-star break, giving us a little rest. The Brewers, what were, what was their biggest lead? Was it was it. Seven was it seven games? Not no, they were up. Games? They were up. Um, I think eight and a half at one point. Eight and a half. Now they're up four as the, they kind of stumbled into that All Star break. The NBA Finals media media day was yesterday, and there was some funny stuff coming out of it. I like I like the press conferences when you get to know the guys a little bit. Everything's a little loose, a little easy. And now that it's not all over Zoom, like you actually have people in attendance, there's more of this personal connection. Because if it's just over Zoom, everyone just looks at a screen and they're just going, like, yeah, whatever. Um, it's not as good as my favorite presser ever. Is it, it was a f- few words, but Marshawn Lynch, Rowdy, before the Super Bowl, when Marshawn Lynch is just like, I'm just here so I don't get fined. Or when he just goes, yeah, yeah, no. But Marshawn Lynch, is, they were hilarious to me. But this is funny. So we've been saying this a long time, and P.J. Tucker also says it about himself uh, and also calls his teammates, like, the dogs. Like, he's a dog. My teammates, they're dogs. So one of the reporters uh, yesterday asked P.J. Tucker a specific question, and I, I want to play it because I think it's pretty hilarious. Uh, it's a great – it just shows you how like close-knit the team is and how they're just vibing, having fun, uh, being loose, being easy, as you know they should. Because you don't want to get in your own head. But here's the reporter. You'll hear the reporter, then you'll hear P.J. Tucker's answer uh, about Giannis Adenikumbo. Take a listen. Hey, P.J., I know you're asked about Giannis a lot. And you have referred to him and a lot of the teammates as dogs. So I hope you indulge me on a fun question. What, what type of dog would best describe Giannis and what he's proven over the last 10 days? <laughs> <sighs> Giannis like a greyhound, like one of them just long, just paws, just fast, just, I think one player, he took like three dribbles to go full court for a dunk. I was running and I was looking, I was like, did he just take three dribbles? Like, it was crazy. Um, so yeah, he'd be something like that. Like everybody, these last few games. Um, and so there, Giannis described as a, I think that's off the, off the cuff, like on the fly. That's a great description of Giannis from PJ Tucker, a greyhound, long, fast. I yeah, that's great. I, I'm with you on there. I don't but know what I else think, it would be. I think, the, <laughs> I think the reporter 
I think it's hilarious that he asked this question Same. because I feel like the guy had absolutely no idea what the meaning or what <laughs> PJ Tucker meant by any of that, especially to ask that type of question. Um, yes, what kind of dog? What kind of breed of dog is um, Giannis Antetokounmpo? <laughs> PJ Tucker's just laughing. Like, he's like, I'm not saying that he's an actual dog. I'm saying he's a dog. Like, yeah, like if you're going to actually put like. From what PJ Tucker, or when people use that type of term, <laughs> what type of dog they're probably referring to? You're thinking like a junkyard dog, like a pit bull or a Rottweiler, like someone like ah, like ready to just get, get an attack and go. <laughs> what kind of, yes, what kind of dog is he? Good on PJ Tucker for being like I never would have thought of Greyhound. Like I never that never would have came to my mind. I think that's a great that's a great uh, answer from PJ Tucker, a Greyhound. So after when PJ Tucker was done rowdy. Then it was Drew Holiday's uh, Drew Holiday's turn to speak to the media, and actually PJ Tucker left Drew Holiday a nice little present on his chair because it was after practice. Take a listen. Somebody sitting here before me. Makes sense. Sweaty. Yes. <laughs> Extremely. No, it's okay. <laughs> I'm gonna go shower. I'm gonna go shower after this. It's fine. <laughs> go to Eric to begin. It was so wet. It was like I was. Like, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> If you look at his jersey, though, like he is. No, yeah, no, he's working. He's working. Yeah. <laughs> so PJ Tucker came from practice and just dripping with sweat. The chair's like sopping wet. And yeah, Drew Holiday's, Holiday's definitely sounds uncomfortable <laughs> sitting there. Somebody sitting here before me? Makes sense. Makes sense. Yes. <laughs> Extremely. No, it's okay. <laughs> I'm going to go shower. I'm going to go shower after this. It's there's like it's like uh, the one thing that Chris here's what Chris Middleton is the best at. Uh, not you know this was reminding me of uh, PJ Tucker in his sweaty chair reminding Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton is a beast at sweating. Like Chris Middleton will the game will start and Chris Middleton already looks like he just ran a marathon and jumped out of the shower. Like he is just covered in sweat. I could you imagine guarding those guys when they literally are just like it's like they're the ocean. They're just they're just like dripping with sweat. And I also saw you just have some of those guys. Like I would say that uh, overall, I'm probably an above average sweater. But like back in the day, like when we were in the wrestling room, we had a guy that when you were working out, it was just like all of a sudden he created his own pond. Uh, Yeah, that's Chris Middleton. You're like, dude, like you should go somewhere where there's a drought. You should just go there and stand around because you will single handedly uh, make that place like they'll be like Mesopotamia after you stand there. Believe it or not, Rowdy. I was looking, I saw this uh, pop up, and people were shocked by this. I was also shocked by this. Speaking of sweaters, the NBA's floor cleaners, you know, those guys that come out with the mops <laughs> yep. and whatnot, they make, are you, take a guess, I don't know if you saw this or not, take a guess of what they make a year. So it's for roughly six months just for NBA games? To be a floor cleaner. And you're doing it 80, or I guess 41 times a year in a normal season? You're a court cleaner with a big mop. I'm going to go with like 30 grand. Rowdy? Rowdy, I kid you not, these, according to career, careerexplorerguide.com, they make $80,000 per year. And if you are more experienced floor cleaner, you, <laughs> what does that that's what it's That's what it says. You can make up to $100,000 by running around with that big mop and cleaning up after players fall on the ground and sweat everywhere. Eighty to one hundred thousand dollars. So if you can get eighty to a hundred thousand dollars, where do I apply? Yeah, cleaning the floor at an NBA game forty-one times a year in a normal season. Yep. 
Um, and you talk about the NCAA, like, I guess, using free labor. How about when they get the little kids to like basically roll around on the floor with, with rags? No, can those can those little kids who do it for the NCAA can they get a name image likeness deal? <laughs> oh man! So yeah, if you are an NBA floor cleaner, like if if you see Chris Middleton out there, you're like, yes, job security, my friend. PJ Tucker, job security. I will make eighty to one hundred thousand dollars annually for literally cleaning up sweat from an NBA court. That's that's a good gig if you can get it. That that's just funny money. Well, I mean, you look at NBA and funny money. You got guys like Miles Plumley. Remember him for the Bucks, or was it Mason? Who was the Plumley? Was it Miles or Mason? I forget. Miles Plumley. Wasn't he making like tw- like twenty million dollars or something like that at the end? <laughs> like something just absurd. You got guys just like it just doesn't. Was it Mason? I can't remember. I think it was Miles. Neither of them were good. Yeah, that's if they were good, you'd remember. I just remember there were some Plumleys around. Uh, <laughs> I have some more comments coming up from uh, Media Day yesterday, but that was just hilarious. Of PJ Tucker on the cuff describing Giannis Adendakumo as a greyhound, as a reporter's like, What do you mean by what kind of dog would he be? It's like those Facebook quizzes you take. <laughs> I don't take them. I see all kinds of people taking them. By the way, those quizzes on Facebook, like, you know. Was Miles. Was it Miles? Yeah. Can you look at what he was making? Can you look at what his contract was? Does it say? Uh, yeah, right here it says too much. <laughs> Enough. Well, touche. Touche. If you are, I forget what I'm saying now. Uh, I have more comments from Media Day coming up here as uh, Giannis talks about, you know, what's a compliment for him uh, as they've named a play or a, a defense over Giannis and Nakumbo. We'll also talk, uh, have hear from Chris Middleton on the way. Yeah. I'm just shaking my head at this. What? When he played for the Bucks, he reached his highest salary was a little over $5.2 million. Like a year? A year. But uh, the Hawks? Who at the time were sneaky good, were paying them twelve and a half million a year. Jesus, funny money for guys that don't even matter in the NBA. Where can I? How can I apply? Where can I apply? And when can I be a floor cleaner? Maybe I'll. Maybe we'll focus on that, Rowdy. We'll do the show in the morning and then uh, go to Milwaukee at night to make eighty to one hundred thousand dollars for mopping up sweat on the floor. Game four of the NBA Finals are tonight, my friends. Eight o'clock tip, despite it being in Milwaukee. Jesus. All right, Rowdy. So media day was yesterday. Giannis Adendakumbo was up on the podium, and he uh, briefly, brief, like for like two seconds, started to talk about himself. He immediately pulled back and said he apologizes, doesn't want to talk about himself. It's all about we, not me. And then Giannis was uh, asked about the Phoenix Suns, and it, I guess they have this defensive play. And the defense that the Suns named it is called the Giannis Wall. They literally have named it the Giannis Wall. Giannis was asked about it. Uh, says having a defense named the Giannis Wall is crazy to him. There's a team that's building a wall of three people and two guys behind or whatever the case might be and trying to stop you. And now you have to not take it personal and make the right play, find the right guy. I feel like I, I did that better since two years ago now I'm doing it better like I'm finding I'm trusting my teammates I'm finding guys but I was always a capable passer before the wall was created which is funny that uh, there's a defense out there called the Giannis wall it's it's funny to me you know so uh, it it's it's crazy it's crazy man and if you remember where that originated from it was the 2019 
Eastern Conference semifinals with the Boston Celtics, where Brad Stevens was the one that incorporated it. Then Nick Nurse and the Toronto Raptors yeah, really obviously it. perfected it. And then it just because um, it was so frustrating watching Giannis run into like three, four guys against the Raptors, and then he would like try to score right instead of dish the ball off, and then he would get four guys on you, just hammering you. Now I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, call Giannis a spectacular passer, but I would say since Game Seven of that Brooklyn Nets series in the Eastern Conference Finals, Giannis has been distributing the basketball at a a high level, and exactly what the Bucks and Bucks fans would like to see from him. I think he's played pretty much starting with game seven through the Hawk series. Now, obviously granted he was hurt halfway through the Hawk series Yeah. and what he's done so far in the finals, he's played the exact type of basketball that the Bucks need him to play at the level they need him to play it at. And it's basically, again, just the guys around him. Because he has passed the ball really well. Yeah, he's been doing great. He hasn't been just continuing to dribble into those walls and draw like fouls. Like, he'll take all the attention. They'll get three guys on him. And all of a sudden, whoop, dished out to Chris Middleton, who hopefully doesn't brick it. Or whoop, dish out well, to, how many know, times in the past was he just putting his head down and ramming into that wall? Yeah, and getting, just kind of go up. Yeah, either completely missing the shot or... Just getting mugged. Or... Getting offensive fouls. Yeah, it was, and he was clearly and obviously was frustrated. Uh, But now Giannis says you got to take that as a compliment, and you have to find the fun in it with the guys targeting like you, uh, like uh, they are doing, I should say, on the Greek freak. Here's more from Giannis. Other that, I have another one. Is is that is that perhaps the best compliment you could have as a player that there is something like that called that teams (laughs) have tried to devise such a thing. Um, you have to take it as a compliment. You always have to find the fun factor in everything. You know, in that, in the free throw, one, two, three, four, whatever it is, you always got to find the fun factor. Um, so yeah, you know, it it it, it is it is a it is a compliment that um, there got to be three people in front from stopping me to get in the paint uh, and building that wall. But yeah, I'm, I hate it though. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I hate it. But at the end of the day, you gotta figure out the way to uh, play through it. Well, yeah, I would hate it too if I got four, three, four guys draped all over me as I'm trying to get to the rack. Well, just look at how Giannis's game is on so many different spectrums here. So if you're talking about when he has the basketball and he's, you know, close to the paint and he's got ahead of steam, they're trying to set up a wall because obviously they respect him and he's going to dominate them if it's one-on-one for the most part. Yeah. But then you flip it on its head and, and it's him out on the perimeter and they're basically giving him almost 10 feet of space. Sometimes 15. <laughs> they're like, shoot it, dude. Shoot shoot that three-pointer. But once again... If you come down low, we're going to build the wall. Just just another reason why watching the Bucks can be so frustrating. Because, yes, Giannis does dominate, especially when it's one-on-one inside when he gets a bit of a head of steam or a step. And it's frustrating when he's not passing it, when he's putting his head down and ramming in there. And, obviously, either missing shots or turning the ball over or drawing offensive fouls. And then on the other end, like we just said, when they're giving him the wide-open shot and he's taking it and he's not hitting it, it's frustrating. And then when he finally passes it, and your number twos and threes and role players are supposed to knock down shots and they're not knocking them down, 
It's frustrating. That's why you saw in game two, Giannis in that third quarter is like, you guys stink. Well, he didn't say this. This is me doing some bad lip reading. You guys stink. Give me the ball. I'll do it myself. Giannis goes out and scores 20 points in the third quarter. Uh, only Michael Jordan had scored more in a single quarter in an NBA Finals game. Giannis now back-to-back games, 40-plus points, 10-plus rebounds. Not frustrating at all as he's doing something only Shaquille O'Neal has ever done. And then done. I think a lot of fans also get frustrated because you're like, if he could just develop a jumper. My God. His mid-range was rocking last game. Giannis's was. Hell, he was doing a little better than Chris Middleton. Uh, Giannis also talks. The the thing that I think that's most frustrating to Giannis is the free throws. And uh, he actually hit his free throws last game. He did pretty damn good from the charity stripe. But Giannis, after the game, Giannis had 17 free throws. The Suns had, what, 16 total. Monty Williams, the Suns coach, was complaining about it. Yeah, yeah I was watching... Um... I think it was ESPN, by the way, and it was after the game. It was, was the, tough. It was the day after. They even had going across the little ticker. It was it was talking about Monty Williams, and it was talking about how Giannis had more free throws than the Suns team, and then they mentioned Monty Williams. I was I was thinking to myself when I saw that. I go, I don't recall in any other game where it's ever been noted that one player had more free throws than the opposing team. Because I guarantee you, if we go back and dig through the histories of, of NBA playoffs, we can find where LeBron James probably got more free throws oh, yeah, for than sure. another team. No, yeah. I'm sure we can find where Michael Jordan probably got more free throws than another team. I mean, you can find different examples of that. I've never once seen it pointed out until after Monte Williams brought it up and it was talked about that all of a sudden ESPN, over a day after those comments, were still highlighting it on their little ticker when talking about NBA and the NBA playoffs. Yeah. Uh, I will give you... If that doesn't show you where the narrative wants to go... I will give you uh, where Giannis falls on most free throws in a game. But before that, Giannis talks about how Monty Williams... Monty Williams, uh, after Game 3, did one of those things where he's like, I'm not going to complain, but... I'm not something, something, but and he's like, all right, here we go. So Monty was like, I'm not going to complain about this, but Giannis had 17 free throws. We only had 16 as a team. Here's Giannis talking about the Suns complaining about the free throws. I think, I think I take pretty good uh, bidding on there. You know, like I have a scratch right here and scratch right here. So, you know, they're making my uh, pretty face ugly. <laughs> But it is what it is. You know, I'm just trying to focus on what I have to do and how I can help my team uh, be successful. And that's all I'm going to, you know, spend my energy on. There you go. So Giannis is, uh, said his pretty face is getting banged up because of the Phoenix Suns. <laughs> I, I, saw, I saw a meme where it was like Monty Williams says Giannis is getting more free throws than the entire Suns team. And then it was also the Suns. And it was like three guys basically all wrapped up around Giannis knocking into him while he's trying to lay the ball in the hoop. <laughs> it was pretty it was pretty funny because clearly in the meme he was getting mugged by like three guys inside oh, yeah. the paint. He's like getting his ass kicked down there. So Monty Williams, I'm pretty sure that uh he deserved those foul calls. We were talking about Giannis breaking through that wall, right? But first we were talking about Monty Williams complaining about how Giannis had seventeen free throw attempts and the Suns only had sixteen total. So I remember, um, I think it was game two when Giannis was going off in that third quarter and they were, uh, you know, they were hacking Giannis. Well, hack a shack 
has, uh, well, Hacka Giannis is nowhere near close to what Hacka Shaq was. As I pulled up some of the, uh, the, who has the most free throw attempts in an NBA Finals game history, Shaquille O'Neal in one game, it was uh, June 9th, the year 2000, Shaquille O'Neal had 39 free throw attempts. 39 free throw attempts. <laughs> well, that was the other thing that I was going to say when they were talking about how, oh, Giannis has so many free throw attempts. When it's a guy that gets the ball down low that they're looking to foul and they've been fouling yeah. and they've been physical with, he's obviously going to get more whistles because I think you would say, especially if you're a Suns fan or if you're probably – Monty Williams or a Suns player, you'd rather have Giannis shooting free throws than dunking on your head. Or you'd rather have Giannis attempting free throws than letting a wide open Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Pat Connaughton, Robin Lopez, or Robin Lopez, Brooke Lopez, or any of the other guys that could potentially be out on the perimeter attempting an open three, would you not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rowdy, 39 free throw attempts. You want to know who's second? Dwayne Wade. I was going to guess LeBron James. Dwayne Wade had 25 free throw attempts. That was uh, 2006 in the finals. Then you got to go all the way back to 1958 where Bob Pettit had 24. Shaquille O'Neal again in 2001 had 22. Bob Pettit again in 1957 had 22. Dwayne Wade again in 2006 had 21. Shaquille O'Neal makes an appearance again in 2002, 21. Michael Jordan, 21 in 1997. Uh, let's see, here we go to Jerry West in 1969. He had 20. Leroy Ellis, 1965. He had 20. Jerry West again, 20. Uh, Paul Pierce in 2008 at 19. Shaq again, 2001 at 19. Michael Jordan, 19 in 1992. Bill Russell, 1968 at 19. Giannis Dendekumbo doesn't even crack the one, dude. Doesn't even crack the top 15 with his 17. Look at that. Giannis and Nakumbo, despite Monty Williams complaining about it, doesn't even crack it. LeBron James is in there a couple times, by the way. LeBron James, let's see here, had 18 in 2015. So there's a ton of times where LeBron James and, well, I mean, Shaquille O'Neal, obviously. So but LeBron James is much more than Giannis and Nakumbo. I wonder if there was a huge uproar from Dallas Maverick fans in that 2006 NBA Finals because two of the names that you've read off multiple times mm -hmm. was Shaq and Wade, both of which were the star players on that 2006 Miami Heat team that won the NBA Final. So I'm going to imagine that both of them got quite a few free throw attempts in that series. I wonder if... Fans and the NBA were complaining about the uh, foul difference in those series. Okay, we have uh, we have people asking me on Twitch.tv. Search my name, Ebo says, hit the follow button. You can hear us and see us, interact with us. The chatter, the scuttlebutt, if you will, on the Twitch channel is how many of those free throws did Shaquille O'Neal hit <laughs> out of the 39 in the year 2000? Rowdy, take a guess. How many do you think I have the stat rate? How many did Shaq hit of the 39 he attempted? I'm going to go with 18. You, did you know? No. You're spot on. Shaq was 18 of 39. Good for 46 46 46%. Honestly, I just randomly guessed because I figured he was probably around 50%, probably just a little lower. 18 of 39, Shaquille O'Neal was. He still had, guess what? Guess what he still had for his points? I'm going to go with, he had, so he had 
18 made free throws. I'll go with for total game, he finished with 34 points. 40 points. Shaquille O'Neal had 40 points. 24 rebounds. 40 points. And he was 18 of 39 from I should have guessed trip. 40. We were just talking about all, the last week about how him oh, and Giannis, yeah, him and Giannis had, 40 had 40 and 10 plus rebounds. Yeah, Shaq, 24, 24 total rebounds. Judas, Shaquille O'Neal, my guy. Crazy. 19 on the defensive glass rebounds. Could you Shaq imagine had. if he had a jumper? <laughs> <laughs> no, he'd, all he had to do was like, like diesel through guys and just dunk it in their face. Yeah, Shaq would probably like laugh and say, "I didn't have a jumper. I had like a tippy toer." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Shaq, Shaq is for players of all time. Shaq is my favorite player of all time. Oh, you see all the Shaq stuff I have. I have a, I got a Shaq rookie plaque when I was a little kid. Uh, it's sitting in the uh, producer suite. I got so much Shaq stuff. You know, Shaq rules. Shaq ruled. Now I don't know. Now Shaq's kind of like a sellout. Which I mean, hey, got to get the money when the money's good, right? I see his face all over. I saw his face on like a Wheaties box. He's all over what this is. It Papa John's that Shaq's now owned. I do enjoy the Shaq versus uh, Charles banter back and forth. Same. When they're calling each other idiots. <laughs> uh, Charles Barkley is one of the greatest broadcasters of all time on TNT. He rules. It's too, it's too bad that you got a lot of people trying to end him for and just sadly, making funny jokes. Yeah, or sadly how he said he wants to retire by age 60, which gives him two years max. Yeah. Well, because he says we can't have fun anymore. He's like all, all off camera. Everyone's like, "Well, we can't say this, we can't say that," because people are going to be mad about it. Here's what I say: You never, you never bend your knee to the mob. You never give them an inch. You just go on about your life, happy, carefree, and not worrying about a bunch of losers. Chuck, I hope you're listening, brother. I know you're listening. All right, so Major League Baseball in the All Star break. Obviously, last night AL took it over the NL for the eighth straight year, five to two. Vlad. Junior, the MVP, and uh, I think he's got to thank Corbin Burns. I think uh, Vlad Junior's got to thank Corbin Burns, the Brewers pitcher, Rowdy, for serving one up. Yeah, to him. Burns knew it right away too. You see his reaction; he's like, "Ooh, like oofta." Uh, there you go. So Vlad Junior became the youngest player ever to win the MVP for the All Star Game. Also joining, what was it? The uh, the Griffies? Yeah, it was Ken Griffey Junior and Senior and. Bobby and Barry Bonds. They became the only father-son duo to home run in all-star games. That's pretty cool, man. Also, some some very good company. Well, let's just hope that uh, Vlad Jr. is not dipping into Barry Bonds' uh, secret stash of whatever he had. But, yeah, th- wasn't that uh, – you saw you saw a tweet, right, a picture go viral of Vlad Jr. as a kid when his dad was in the all-star game? Yeah, it was like, this guy hit a home run in the all-star game today. <laughs> it was like a little toddler. Funny dude, yeah. Vlad Jr. is a beast. That guy is a that guy's a baller. Shohei Otani hit hundred on the gun pitching, but it could not get it done again with the sticks, as he went over two. Uh, Brewers though, I mean Corbin Burns took the loss, whatever. But Burns, I mean what? Outside of the Burns home run to Vlad, it was um, a lot of soft contact, right, Rowdy? For the most part, yeah. He gave up four hits, and you would say that at least two of those hits were pretty soft. And then he had the four pitch walk to start the at bat. Um. Can we get a little conspiracy theory here that the, the only the pitcher in the entire game to throw more than one inning was Corbin Burns? They wanted to. They want to like bring him down to, to earth. The Brewers already didn't have Brandon Woodruff throwing because he pitched on Sunday. You had Josh Hader, who most likely wasn't available because they had used him what four times in the last eight-ish days or so yep. leading up to the All-Star Game. And that only left Freddie Peralta, who replaced Brandon Woodruff, 
and it left Corbin Burns. And we all know how Major League Baseball and basically professional sports in general always are promoting the bigger city or the um, bigger market. And obviously Milwaukee is one of the smaller markets. Corbin Burns got two innings through 35 pitches. The only pitcher to do so. Yeah, by far the most pitches in any inning for any pitcher. Dave Roberts was the manager, right? A team that the Brewers could be contending with. Dave Roberts, the manager of the L.A. Dodgers, was managing the NL club last night. He knows in his heart of hearts that Corbin Burns and the Milwaukee Brewers are coming for him in the playoffs, and he's trying to get inside Corbin Burns' head and ruin him. Dave Roberts, tiss, 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 tiss. And he also had uh, pitchers on his own team that made the All-Star game that didn't appear. Wow. Dave Roberts, we're on to you, brother. We're sniffing you out, Dave. Uh, I know you're listening, too. We, we're not no schleps here. We ain't no dummies, Dave. We're on to you, bro. All right, Rowdy, something else we're on to is uh, how Rob Manfred is an idiot. I don't even know if it's just us that's onto that. I think <laughs> everyone's everybody. onto that. Rob Manfred, uh, dumbassery, no nose bound, knows no bounds from the baseball commissioner. So, Rowdy, Rob Manfred now is saying that seven inning doubleheaders and extra innings rules are going to be soon on their way out. Rob Manfred is also the same guy who wants to speed up Major League Baseball, right? And after COVID-19, you know, when baseball shut down for a while, they were uh, negotiating on some things with the CBA. And it was in there that if you have a doubleheader, the games will turn to seven inning games. And also, if you go to extra innings for a regular game or a doubleheader, a runner starts on second. Now, Rob Manfred says both of those rules, which were implemented as the league uh, you know, was doing it for after the, the pandemic, to introduce ways to conclude games more quickly. Now, Rob Manfred says they're going to be on their way out. What is wrong with this guy? Yeah, so it was obviously they're the ones that incorporated it to speed up the games. And they were saying... Well, they used the excuse during COVID in 2020 for the seven inning games, basically less contact and less chances for players to come in contact, even though they were already going to be playing 14 instead of 18 innings. And you're already going to be out there for multiple hours together. So it really didn't make any sense. But we all knew that it was just an excuse so that they could get these games in and do it in shorter amounts of time. Yes. I I think everyone could tell that if you think that playing two games in one day seven innings two games in one day seven innings is is gonna <laughs> not have COVID-19 uh, you know appear on these guys like doomsday during the field because we did seven innings out of nine you're an idiot there's rowdy last time I checked oh, I, don't, I don't even want to get into it but yes it's 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 stupid it's idiocracy at its finest and Rob Manfred is great at being an idiot right and I will say this though the seven inning out of nine, it does speed up the game. But, I mean, anyone could have told you that it was going to speed up the game when you cut off two, two innings. innings. Yes. And then the same thing with the starting a, a runner on second. Your odds as a baseball team in general of scoring a run when a runner gets to start on second go up tremendously. We're talking like 60% of the time is what supposedly the numbers say. Mm-hmm. And it was... It did it. It served exactly what they wanted it to. Major League Baseball hasn't had many games 
that go super long into extra innings since implementing that new rule. I think the longest game played was the Twins and the Reds this year, and I think that was 13 or 14 innings. <sighs> most of these games are getting done within one, two, three extra innings. Most most of them honestly don't even get, get past the 11th inning. Yeah, it goes pretty quick. They, they get it done in extras pretty quickly. That's exactly what Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred wanted when they put these rules out because they wanted to speed up the game. They didn't want it taking five, six, seven hours where some of these really, really long extra inning games went. But I think obviously we're starting to see that a lot of fans are having some pushback and saying this is dumb. Well, people should be pushing back about dumb stuff. And I think it's, it's even probably a little bit from some of the players. I mean, they're talking about how seven inning games are technically games that get to count against your team record, your pitching record, your everything. Yep. But like when Madison Bumgarner, Throw a no-no. Throws a no-no. It doesn't count as a no-hitter because he didn't throw it nine innings. But yet it's a complete game and it's a shutout. And Major League Baseball imposed those rules. Exactly. Which they considered to be a game and a full game at seven innings when it's a doubleheader. But yet it's... It's technically not a full game, so it doesn't count as a no hitter or so, a perfect yeah, game. To that, that to your point, yes. Also, there's some relievers who were complaining because they were picking up blown saves or losses because there's a runner starting on second. And to your point, Rowdy, about Madison Bumgarner, he that was in April when he threw a no a, a no hitter, but they didn't count as a no hitter because it didn't go nine, even though Major League Baseball said seven. And the Tampa Bay Rays also combined to no hit Cleveland over seven innings in July, also did not count. Just, just, I don't, I don't understand. And well, you bring up a good point too with the relievers that are, you know, say all of a sudden your team takes a one-run lead because they they score the runner in the bottom of the the second, and you have a, a save opportunity, and all of a sudden that's your close your closing opportunity, and the guy gets to start on second. You're up by one, and now you you blow your save. So now it it goes against you. That you blew a save, even though it was in an inning where a runner got to start on second. So it doesn't necessarily, the statistic doesn't necessarily tell the whole story because obviously that would go into a blown save and it would go into inherited runners allowed, which we've kind of talked about that a little bit with Brent Suter because he seems to be a guy who he's got an ERA that's solid. It's below four, but he's got a ton of inherited runners allowed because when he comes in in extra innings, those guys normally score when he's on the mound. Yeah. Uh, real quick, I googled this, Rowdy. Yeah, man, we'll get back to Manfred. He's a dumbass. Uh, but the longest game in MLB history came May first, nineteen twenty, when the Brooklyn Robins and the Boston Braves played twenty six innings, and they still tied. Why? Because the game was called due to darkness. They did not have. That was also probably a game that started in the early afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see here. Because I'm, I'm guessing with those team names, it was uh, extremely long ago where they weren't using lights. The longest game by innings in Major League history could have gone even longer. After 26 innings, the game was called due to darkness. The Robins, the predecessors to the Dodgers, and the Braves were tied at one apiece, and that's how the game ended. The entire episode took just three hours and This had to be minutes. early 1900s. Yeah, yeah 1920. And uh, one, 26 innings. The... Second one, longest one, is a tie, actually, between the St. Louis Cardinals and the New York Mets, which took 25 innings, and also tied for the longest game. Your Milwaukee Brewers, May 8th, 1984, the Chicago White Sox ended up beating the Brewers 7-6 to in 25 innings. 
It's the longest game in Major League Baseball history in terms of time. It took, Jesus, eight hours and six minutes, and it had to be completed over two days. (laughs) Oh, my God. Serenity now. But, Rowdy, the longest game ever for a professional actually came from uh, AAA. The game, uh, let's see here, was 33 innings between the Pawtucket Red Sox and the Rochester Red Wings. 33 innings, uh, that's the longest for innings, 8 hours and 25 minutes. Could you imagine if they cut off beer sales after the seventh inning? And you're there for and you're there and you innings. actually stuck it out and were there for 33 innings. Like what? <laughs> this with the, I'm going to so say pissed. with the lack of hitting and obviously the lack of runs being scored for that long. Oh, uh, oh, this you're this, probably going to need a beer to be able to sit there for that long. This goes over the course of a couple days though. So there was 21. Uh, let's see here the Pawtucket the Pawtucket Red Sox had 21 hits, and the Rochester Red Wings had 18 hits. The Red Sox won three to two, but check this out. The game began on Saturday, April 8th, 1981 at 8.25 p.m. after a delay of 30 minutes due to problems with the stadium lights. It continued throughout the night and into Easter morning. Most leagues had a curfew rule that would have suspended the game, but international leagues' activities uh, stopped at 12.50 a.m. But the rule book of home plate umpire Dennis Craig did not contain that rule. Because it apparently had an old rule book, so <laughs> <laughs> so they then as an old rule book. Apparently, this game took place on April eighteenth, April nineteenth, and then for some reason, at by four a.m., the players were delirious from exhaustion. At thirty-one innings, they then had to come back around and play and finish the game. I kid you not, on June twenty-third. So they went from April eighteenth to nineteenth. Then to June twenty third they finished it. What? What do you think they really were? What in the hell? Do you think they were really going through delirium and exhaustion, or they're just like, Like, "Hey, can we come back tomorrow?" Like, dude, this is this is BS, man. I know your rule book doesn't say it, man, but do you think it's right that we're playing till four in the morning? Come on, my man, let us go. We have families. It's Easter. (laughs) We gotta celebrate. We gotta eat some. I got some ham, dude. I gotta put on. Let's go. All right, so there you go, Uh, Rob Manfred. Tried his best to speed up games, and then it cost some relievers some blown saves. It cost Madison Bumgarner a uh, no-no, and now they're going to say, yeah, we're actually not going to do those seven-inning doubleheaders anymore. Oh, and we're not going to start a runner on second, but okay. Rob Manfred, you're a clown. Uh, speaking of pitchers really quick before I have a a, a birthday shout-out, did you see over the past couple of days here, the Major League Baseball's draft has been going on? The Los Angeles Angels had 20 draft picks, obviously, and they used every single one of those 20 draft picks to select pitchers. They selected 20 pitchers in the 20-round Major League Baseball draft. Talk about putting all your eggs in one basket there, Rowdy. 20 pitchers in the 20 rounds. I don't want to state the obvious, but it sounds like they're looking for arms. <laughs> yeah, I, think you're, I think you're spot on right there. So uh, Miami University's right-hander Sam Bachman was the Angels' first-round pick, one of the 19 collegiate pitchers they selected. The only high school selection was a 12th-round pick, Mason Albright, from the IMG Academy in Florida. So um, I'm trying to like get comments on here. Uh, the Let's see here. The GM of the Angels said, quote, today was, today was really targeting pitching. <laughs> yeah. We Sounds t- like the whole draft was. We took 20 pitchers. That was a strong focus for us today. 
There were so many valuable pitchers to bring into an organization, so just to go out and play the hot hand. Um, wow. He should have done this. He should have said, well, you know, in a perfect world, you draft and, and develop, develop and keep and, your um, own players. We selected the best available. <laughs> the Angels. The Angels have emphasized drafting pitching under uh, their GM Swanson in the previous drafts as well. So I guess in 2017. Well, we know that the Angels have had an emphasis on pitching. It probably, from what we've learned, goes a little further than just drafting the pitchers. It's also. They make their hitters pitch. No, it's also <laughs> drafting up uh, different ideas on how to uh, create yes. substances to help pitchers as well. Because the longtime manager or uh, like clubhouse manager for the Angels, who's now fired. He was the guy who was the epicenter of all the sticky substance stuff. He was supplying Garrett Cole and, uh, you know, insert all those names have been cut. <laughs> His were the text messages and everything that was being read <laughs> yep. and used in, as evidence. He, he, called, he said he was the, uh, the scapegoat for all of this, that he was uh, made to be the face of punishment in Major League Baseball. So, Rowdy, in 2017, the Angels, 13 of their first 20 picks were pitchers. In 2018, 16 of their 20 picks were pitchers, although their top two selections were position players. And then in 2019, 17 of their first 20 choices were pitchers. And then 2021, 20 of their 20 were pitchers. And here the Angels are. When's the last time the Angels were in the playoffs, by the way? It's been a minute. (laughs) Well, I mean, Mike Trout has never played in the playoffs. Yeah. And I believe he's in his eighth or ninth season. 2014 was the last time. They haven't made the play since 2014. Pitching has been a long issue for the Angels. The primary reason for the team hasn't uh, made the play since 2014. Okay, well, this guy who still hasn't made it to the uh, playoffs, and I don't think they're going to be making it to the playoffs this year, what's the definition of insanity? It's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So either this guy and his philosophy of selecting all these pitchers are wrong, or maybe this guy needs to go look in the mirror and say he's the one that sucks. At evaluating talent because they can't get to the playoffs. Well, the Angels are are a, obviously they're a big market team, right? Yeah, they're the Los Angeles Angels, even though they're located in Anaheim. You you look at what they've done over the years, and they've thrown a lot of money around. When you're talking about guys like uh, Albert Pujols, Pujols, you're talking about guys like you remember when Josh Hamilton got a huge contract <laughs> out there. Hell yeah. Um, do you remember? He was a really good starting pitcher for the Texas Rangers for a couple seasons. C.J. Wilson got a huge deal to go out there. It's not like they haven't thrown a ton of money around. They've thrown a ton of money around, and all the guys that they seem to throw all these long-term deals at have absolutely sucked. Yeah, or or not only have they sucked, but they were good for like maybe a year or two, but they signed them to like the you know like the Pujols like a ten-year deal. And by year like five, he's no longer the guy that you had signed. Yeah. So um, the Angels aren't alone in what had happened. The Angels weren't the only organization going heavy on pitching. As uh, Cleveland drafted 19 pitchers out of its 21 selections, all of them college players, the Dodgers did not draft a position player until the 16th round, and they selected 17 pitchers out of 19. So a lot of teams out there in the draft going heavy on the arms. Well, the Dodgers are a team that can boast that they had, like, six starting pitchers that would be in anyone's rotation, six or seven. Like they got guys that were blowing out their elbows, going on suspension lists, uh, having season ending 
surgery, and yet they can still say that they have a good rotation. <laughs> and they've lost like three starters now. Money does buy you happiness. Connor McGregor turns 33 years old today, July 14th, 1988. Connor McGregor celebrates his birthday as after he busted up his ankle, broke it, lost to Dustin Poirier. So, Rowdy, let me ask you, is Connor McGregor, is the Titan, is it done? Has it has it been done? Is it over? How has it been over? See, I feel like a lot of people started thinking after he took all that time off and he did the uh, Floyd Mayweather stunt. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I think it was his first UFC fight back, if I remember correctly. It was against Cowboy Donald Cerrone. Yeah. And everyone knew that Cowboy was on his last legs being a legit professional UFC fighter, and he starched him right away, first round. Done. But pretty much since then, he hasn't been able to, well, win against a legit contender in that lightweight division. So did you see what Khabib said? Khabib said yesterday that if McGregor and Poirier, if they fight 100 times, Dustin is going to beat him 100 times. That was Khabib really just really just poking it to Conor McGregor after he's down and with that broken foot. See, I just don't get all the people out there like online that hate Dustin Poirier all of a sudden because he beat McGregor and they're just like the McGregor fanboys that can't come to grips with he's probably done. Like, like in all honesty, there was a lot of people saying that once he took the time off and fought Floyd Mayweather and as a big show that a lot of the, you know, the fire in his belly was gone, almost like Rocky and Rocky three, like the yeah. fire just wasn't there. Come on. He's Rock. got, he's got all the cash. He's got all the fame. Well, he started getting his whiskey. Well, funny you say that because Khabib said Connor has a lot of money and he became very famous. Then Khabib said, but money and fame don't change you. They show who you are. Yet since since he got all that money from that fight and took the time off, he, he hasn't been the same. Have we witnessed the end of an era? More than likely, yes. Yep. Khabib. Because I would say when you look at uh, Dustin Poirier in the fight that they just had, he was dominating. He was dominating McGregor until McGregor broke his I think foot. Khabib also said that... Uh, Khabib also said that Poirier also would have broke Connor's other foot, other leg, if the fight continued. <laughs> Khabib is Khabib and is Dustin just Poirier is a guy that busts his ass and has been nothing but a good dude, and a guy that since he got beat by McGregor has done nothing but pretty much take out some of the best guys in that lightweight division. If you look at his um, what he's done in his fight history, he's beaten some of the best guys, guys that Connor have hasn't beaten in the last four years. Yeah. I'll never forget the great trash talk. No, but I mean, prime the McGregor Titans from done, 2014 to 2016. I mean, that was electric.